Good morning. This morning's reading is taken from Luke 3, verses 1 to 8. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Arnas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be, to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Good morning. My name is Peter Close. I'm one of the deacons here and have the privilege of speaking this morning. Thank you, Helen, and thank you, Claire, for praying and reading for us. I want you to imagine you've just left Asda. You've got two big shopping bags full of shopping. And then you're confronted by a street preacher. He's got a black Bible. He's got a microphone. I won't pick the microphone up just in case I cause problems. Microphone. And he starts shouting at you. You brood of vipers. Don't you know you're destined for hell? unless you repent and turn to Jesus. So repent, stop sinning, and don't think that because you call yourself a Christian, or you were christened, you'll be okay. How do you react when you come across someone like that? Do you think good for them, they're preaching the gospel? At last, someone's got the courage. Or do you put your head down and hope that no one spots you and you get past the guys with the tracts handing them out? I worry that people like that put people off Christianity. It feeds into their preconceptions about what Christians are. But that's precisely what John was doing. He didn't have a mic and he didn't have a speaker, but he was calling out to those that would listen that they needed to change their lives. Now, they, they were in a completely different cultural situation to the one that we are. 
They'd longed for God to come and speak to them. They remembered the prophets from over 400 years ago, but had none since. And then along comes John with his miraculous birth to aging parents, people quoting prophecies about him. He was a little strange. He had clothes made of camel hair, and he ate locusts and wild honey. But something about him told them that he was filled with the Holy Spirit as he called people back to God. I'm sure in their heads they saw, is this like what Amos was like, or Hosea, or Jeremiah, or Ezekiel? The people were excited. God was speaking to them again. Because that's exactly what they imagined a prophet would do, how a prophet would behave. God was no longer silent. So it's no surprise that crowds went out to see him. And they agreed to be baptized. And John's message was simple. He was telling them that the Messiah is coming. And you need to get yourself ready to receive him. Now that speaks powerfully to us too. Because Easter's coming. A time when we celebrate and focus on God's amazing, incomparable love in sending his son for us. The encouragement is for us to get ready too. We need to use this time to prepare. Now this isn't a new idea that I've come up with, having interpreted scripture. Those of you that have attended Anglican or Catholic or Orthodox churches will know about Lent. A time of preparation for Easter. You see, the trouble is, isn't it, that it all just gets drowned out with the noise of life. We're so busy. We have work. We have family. The shopping that needs to get done. The kids that need to get sorted. And at the end of the day, we're just so exhausted. A glass of wine and Netflix is the thing that we need. Or maybe just scrolling through our social media or planning our holiday. And when these things fill our lives and our time, God just gets drowned out. And we arrive here on Easter Sunday. And the guy from the front, or the girl from the front said, he is risen. And we say, he is risen indeed in response. And an hour later, we're back home. Sunday lunch, thinking about Monday morning, getting the kids ready for school. And it's all over again for another year. In the passage we read today, Luke quotes Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah. He's coming. The problem was the people were going to miss him. And many did. We know the end of the story. They crucified him. They couldn't believe he was who he said he was. You know, they had this idea that the Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Romans and restore the land of Israel again, just as David had done centuries before. But that wasn't God's plan, was it? He absolutely was going to create a new kingdom. It just wasn't geographical. 
it didn't just involve the Jews. It was for all mankind. A kingdom of people who chose to live under God's authority. But the problem is, if we have the, when we have these preconceived ideas, they get in the way of seeing who God is. It's like we're in one valley and God's in the next valley and we can't see anything because the hills are either side. We can only see the thing in front of us. Or maybe we're on the wrong road and, Jesus is on, and God is on another road in another place. Going back to that street preacher and my worries about the street preacher. What goes through my head is what's going through the head of the person who's coming out of Asda. Do they just go, I can't deal with this. Too much noise, too much speaking. Put their head down and walk away. Or do they go, how dare he? Me, a sinner? I know a Christian at work, they know better than me. They're just hypocrites. Or maybe they go, just ignore him. He's religious. God's proved that, sorry, science has proved there is no God. And they walk away. They can't see past the valleys and the hills around them. And they miss out on a God of love. The Jews were the same, they were convinced they were entitled. You know, because of who my parents are, because of where I was born, because we have the temple. When God returns, that's going to be enough. But John says something quite hard, doesn't he? He said that isn't enough. If all God wanted was Jews, he can create them out of stones. He's looking for something more. He wanted people to turn back to him and repent. So what shapes the way you think? How do you see God? Because we as Christians here, and most of us are in this place, the ideas of the world and society filter into us and mean that sometimes we can be in the wrong valley let me give you an example of what I mean an idea that's all pervasive in our society is one our goal is self-fulfillment or as it used to be said when I used to go to church in London if it feels good do it just make sure it doesn't hurt anybody else what I want, what I desire, what I aspire to, why shouldn't I have it? Why well, shouldn't I enjoy what's in this world? My happiness is what's important. Yet Jesus says something very, very different. How do you feel about this? Jesus said... Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
Paul puts it slightly differently in Galatians. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Can you see the change in priority? John Mark Comer, in his book, Live No Lies, puts it like this. But this call to self-denial sounds alien to our modern ears, right? The barrage of cultural messaging we receive constantly through the digital IV of our myriad devices says the exact opposite. Everything is about self-fulfillment not self-denial. The idea of saying no to yourself to say yes to Jesus sounds crazy. Many of us just can't fathom a vision of the good life that doesn't involve our getting what we want. Paul says later in Galatians, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Self-fulfillment is about me and satisfying my desires. Jesus says, no, I'm in control. I want to be in control of your life. And when I am... I promise that you'll have a full and abundant life. That's what Jesus promises. The life God designed and created you to have. The trouble is, do we really believe him? See how this works out in practice. Sex is the obvious example, isn't it? In scripture, sex and marriage are synonymous. When you sleep with someone, effectively you're marrying them. Two become one. It was designed for a lifelong monogamous relationship. That's not a popular view, but that's a scriptural picture. The message of self-fulfillment says, that's just so regressive. Why would you deny yourself? It's a natural appetite. You know, it's expected nowadays people will have multiple partners. The question isn't whether sex before marriage is appropriate. It's how soon after the first date is right. Because sex is all about pleasure. It's a challenging message, isn't it, when we're asked about self-denial to follow Jesus' way. Especially when it contradicts the messaging that feeds us all the time from the world that we live in. So what do we want? Do we want to follow and know Jesus, a journey of self-denial and ultimately a life that is full and abundant? Or do we want to deny Jesus and seek our own fulfillment in our own way? The trouble is when we do that, 
when we follow those preconceived ideas from the world, we end up valuing the sin above God's word. John challenges his listeners in the same way. The Pharisees were no different to us today. You know, we might say, I know I've sinned, but I've given my life to Jesus. I'm forgiven. The job is done. The Pharisees will have said the same thing. You know, I go to temple, I tithe, I've given my sacrifices. I'm a Jew. Job done. And it's true, what Jesus did on the cross is completely effective for every one of us. But he still calls us to turn back to him, to confess our sins. Not to ignore our conscience and carry on with our sins. Because when we do that, we say sin isn't serious. We're devaluing Jesus' death on a cross. Whilst I was researching this, I came across a really great picture that helped me understand what this is. Imagine you're standing in front of a window, a south-facing window with the sun beaming through. You feel the warmth of the sun. And you see the light. But when you close the curtains, the light disappears. And you no longer feel that warmth. It's like it's not there anymore. And it's the same with God. When we knowingly sin, sin and refuse to repent and change our behavior, it's like we're shutting the curtains on God. We're saying we don't want his presence. We're shutting it on the Holy Spirit. And the danger is when that becomes the norm, we at best accept something less than God wants for us. And at worst, we're at risk of walking away. If our desire becomes fixed on what the world offers, money, romantic love, success, pleasure, you can all list you may get everything you desire. It may all work out perfectly for you. But ultimately, you risk losing your very soul. That all sounds very negative. But John's call is for us to turn back to God. His namesake, the apostle, in his first letter says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But he does go on to say, if we claim we have not sinned, if we ignore that conscience telling us that we need that what we're doing is not right, if we do not come back to God, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So how should we respond to John's challenge to get ourselves ready for God? 
For the Jews, it was to repent and be baptized. Now, for us, we don't conceive what a big-ish thing this was. You were baptized at that time if you were a non-Jew, a Gentile, to become a Jew. He was effectively saying to them, all the stuff that you've believed, all the things that you had before, are meaningless. You need to start from scratch again and come back to God and confess your sins. Jesus says in Mark 10, verse 15, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. How should we come back to God? Like a little child. We should come with an open mind, accepting, believing, seeking God's truth, wanting to spend time with him and his word, getting to know him and his values. We should come wholly dependent on a God for his grace and his mercy. We should come with an open heart to love God unconditionally. We have nothing to bring but ourselves and our sin because we know our sin needs to be dealt with because it's serious. So if we confess our sins, remember he is faithful and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we do this, we can reopen the curtains and experience the warmth of God's presence and his Holy Spirit in our lives. John, when he wrote his letter, went, wrote Revelation, said, here I am. Sorry, said, said about Jesus. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That was a message for Christians. And that's a message for us too. God is standing at the door knocking, inviting and we are open to welcome him in. So in closing, I invite you to come to the Father as a child. Come with an open mind. Come with an open heart. Come with open hands to receive him. Come just as you are and confess your sin to him. So I invite you to start this journey of preparation for Easter. Let's start with a clean heart. Let's start with a clean conscience. Let's remove the barriers between us and God so that we might experience the warmth of God's presence and the Holy Spirit in our life. And I invite the band to come up now. And can you put the slide up, please, for us? Um, we're now going to do, have a prayer of confession. I thought it would be a good way to respond to what we've heard. 
This is an Anglican prayer, so those of you that have been, been to, to um, Anglican churches may recognize this prayer of confession. But I find this personally sometimes just a really helpful set of words to come before God. So I'm going to invite you to say these words with me slowly. But I'm going to challenge you to only say the words if you mean them. If this is not for you and you don't agree with it or you're not sure, then don't say them. But if you mean them and you want it to be true for you, I just invite you to join with me now as we say this prayer together. So let us pray. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen.